Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is episode 32 of Coaching Connections. Now, before we get this episode started, I just wanted to give a big shout out to my guy, Mike Martinez at Pride Printing that does all the logos and artwork that you see throughout everything. He is phenomenal. Him and his wife do a great job. If you need any work done, they really are truly gifted at what they do. On today's episode, we have Coach Marvin Walker and Coach Mike Herrera. And these two guys are currently assistant coaches. They have a lot of experience, a lot of great information and insight. I had a blast talking to these two coaches. I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I did. This is episode 32, Herrera and Walker. Let's get after it. What's going on, Coach? What's up? Hey, man, I'm on the road headed to Dallas, so it might be a lot of lot of road, Brian. Hopefully it ain't too bad. No, it's good. I, you sound good right now. Who's driving? Your son? Yeah. Good, good luck with that one, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's up, man? So, Coach, where's the – where's the? did you test it out already? Dude, I'm so busy. I haven't even had a chance to take it out of the box again. Yeah. Yeah, there's no quiet place in my house, man, with these two kids. So it's like the only place I can go is outside on the back patio. Is it hot? It looks peaceful. Dude, it's uh, asking me in about 45 minutes and my legs would be sweating and sticking to the chairs. <laughs> but it's it's not too bad, man. It's not too bad. Yeah. How are we doing? All right, Coach, I'm, I, think, I think I'm good. <laughs> Got to figure it out? Yeah. Did your boy have to set it up for you? Did your son have to do it, or did you figure it out? Uh, he, he, he guided me through. I got the big headphones, the big Bose headphones. I didn't want to be in the, the podcast with these big old 1985 headphones on and people be making fun of my headphones, so showing my age. <laughs> Nobody's going to judge you, Coach, because of your headphones. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so first, I just want to say thank you guys uh, for taking time out of your day. Like I said, I know you guys are very busy. Uh, so the fact that you're taking time out to hang out and talk hoops, talk life, and, and everything else in between, um, I really do appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you. Thanks man. for having us. Awesome. So uh, let's talk a little bit about COVID. You know, how has your life changed, you know, during this whole pandemic? What have you been doing to stay busy, stay active? And, uh, and I guess what have we been doing in preparation for all of the unknown that, that lays ahead of us uh, as far as the school year and uh, basketball season? Anybody, either one of you. Go ahead, Mike. All right. Well, I mean, basically this, this whole COVID, man, and, and I've kind of heard a common answer amongst a lot of your, your guests is, you know, family, you know, number one, being a, being a, a basketball coach and, uh, you know, it doesn't present itself a lot to be able to spend time with family. So, I'm going to have to, uh, to say ditto on, on what a lot of coaches have talked about. It's allowed me to spend more time with my family and my kids and be home. And, and like a lot of coaches have said too, man, my landscaping hasn't looked this good <laughs> in a long time. But uh, speaking, man, I, I've been able to spend a lot of time reading books, um, studying, and, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's about race, you know, with the, uh, the racial climate, in today's society, you know, I'm trying to brush up on my racial education. Um, I've been active in a lot of uh, groups uh, through social media and Facebook to have conversations about this. I even started my own uh, racial inequality group on campus over at Steel High School to begin conversations on how we can better 
um, empower our kids and our students and our athletes. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing. Marv? Um, I, I would agree with that. You know, unfortunately, due to my, my wife's job, she's not a nurse or a doctor, but she's still considered an essential worker. So she's still been working a lot. So me and my son, we've always spent a lot of time together, but um, even more so this summer, you know, and being creative, you know, this is his um, going into his senior year. So we were hoping for a big summer, you know, on the circuit, getting my opportunity to help him play at the next level. So we just been, you know, weight rooming in the garage and um, doing some ball handling. I got access to a gym around the corner from me that, you know, I've been allowed, able to take him there quite a bit this summer and work out. And then, like Coach said, you know, reading, I actually um, started a book club in Alamo Heights with, um, it turned out to be a bunch of, uh, about 100 teachers in Alamo Heights, you know, um, based around the Black Lives Matter, um, you know, thing, you know, everything that's going on in the world right now. So just trying to help, help educate, stay educated, get educated, you know, and use that to um, hopefully have more of an impact in the classroom and in the, on the court. Marvin, what, what book did you do a book study on? We started with Stamped. So the first book we did was Stamped. Um, there's two versions of it. One of them is a more of an adult version. And then there's one that's um, designed for the classroom. It's designed to use with students for ages um, sixth grade through 12th grade. So we decided, I read that one. Um, some people read the, the adult version, if you will. They both deliver the same message in a different way, you know, you know, based on the ears that were, were listening or watching or reading. So we started with that one, and now we, um, we're in week number two of White Fragility. And that was kind of the second book that, you know, the group voted on. So we're, we're doing that one. And we're just going to keep kind of going and continuing to educate and then on the side, you know, me and some other teachers have been doing some things um, as far as the district, as far as, you know, talking about things that maybe we can do within our high school or within the community to kind of um, make a little bit more inclusive. That's awesome, man. I, I commend you on that. And it sounds like you and I are kind of doing the same thing. I'm actually um, uh, reading the, the, the we're finishing the book, White Fragility, with a group of men um, okay. across the country. And, uh, you know, obviously using that as my resource when I'm talking with the other teachers on campus, it sounds like you got, you and I are doing something very similar, man. So we might have to talk after this and see how that goes, man. But, uh, I commend you for doing that on your campus, man. That's awesome. Same for you, man. It's a, it's an awesome way to, to get a comp, keep, get a conversation going and keep a conversation instead of just sitting around retweeting and, you know, commenting on other posts and not really doing anything. I felt like I needed to do something. And um, this just happened, you know, through a, a suggestion of a, one of my peers. You know, we kind of came together and started this book club. And, you know, he's doing a lot of other things. So I, I've been doing, a, you know, a lot of the, the legwork. But, you know, it's four of us and all four of us are definitely involved in some way or another within the community of, you know, just trying to educate and, and make some changes. What of uh you know, well, let me commend the both of you. I was going to say that as well. I mean, like you said, Mike, you guys are kind of doing something very similar. But um, but the fact that you're using your your um, you know, your your influence to help educate, I think that's powerful, and I think it's important. You know, and and so I want to commend the For both sure. of you. Thank you, thank you. 
Let's talk about your childhood. Where, where did you guys grow up? You know, what was your childhood like? Did you have any uh, powerful influences in your life as a young as a young man? Um, my my childhood wasn't storybook. You know, single single mom, single parent uh, household. Just my mom. You know, pretty much born and raised in poverty. Spent probably you know my middle school through high school years living in the projects. Sports has always been like my refuge. Uh, my, my mom has always been a great supporter of me playing those sports as much as she could. Um, not much financial support there because she just wasn't capable, but there was plenty of people in the community that helped. You know, what for me, it was the boys' club. I went to the boys' club from the age of six, so just kind of growing up, always competing, whether it be in the game room on the basketball court or on the football field or softball or whatever you roll out, I was trying to go play. So that kind of kept me, you know, out of trouble. And then, you know, after, after high school and going into college, I didn't know what I wanted to do as far as a career. Um, and I spoke with my advisor and she asked me, what do you like to do? And I said, I love kids and I love sports. So that's kind of how I got into coaching. Um, but, you know, I know there's a lot of kids who had it had it worse than me because the one thing I did have that maybe a lot of kids don't have that came from similar situations is I had a mom who loved me, supported me, and made things happen that I look back at, and I don't know how she did it, but I'm appreciate, appreciative of it, and um, I definitely, I was definitely fortunate to be where I'm at now. Yeah, for me, um, kind of similar story. I grew up in uh, in San Antonio um, on the northeast side of town, um, a single parent a family, mother raised five kids. Um, you know, I, I would I would say that we, we were a, a poor family. Um, but amazingly, my mother never, never let us know that um, through her strength and through her work ethic. Um, growing up as a kid, you're, you're not aware of, you know, financial insecurities or stabilities. You just know what your lifestyle is. You know that you've got, you know, dinner to eat, you know, and, and you better eat it when it's hot because the other people are going to eat the food. So uh, maybe that's why I eat so fast now in my adult life. But, um, you know, growing up as a kid, it's always hard for us to appreciate the things that our parents do for us because we're just unaware and we're not we're not mature enough to understand those things. But, um, you know, I can remember things like Salvation Army bringing us clothes and bringing us food. And um, we were very fortunate to have uh, academics um, at a private school. I went to St. Pius. Um, they're not too far from Alamo Heights. Um Went there kindergarten through eighth grade, and then from there went to public school and went to MacArthur High School um, to get that public education experience, which was very shocking growing up from a private school, discipline and, and, and nuns that'll slap your wrist with the rulers. And, you know, uh, it was kind of shocking to go to public school, but, but went to public school, went to MacArthur for four years, uh, then went off to uh, the University of Tulsa for four years and then finished up my master's at Texas Tech. Uh, for two years, but um, that's kind of the uh, the educational road, if you will, uh, my family upbringing. Um, but sports was sports was something that was always a part of me as a kid. Um, 
that was kind of like your outlet. Um, dealing with a parent's divorce was never easy. Um, I was kind of quiet. I was kind of angry. Um, but that was a place where I just got to release everything and not anger, but just release, just be a kid and, and be free and, and not think about things. Um, fell in love with the game of basketball at an early age, probably, you know, first grade playing, you know, CYO kind of stuff at the church. Um, but then around fourth grade, I remember running AAU track and field um, and getting involved with that early in cross country. And I can remember as an, as shoot, golly, probably around that same time, um, going down to the San Antonio Zoo and doing those fun runs on Wednesday nights and, and competing. Um, and, you know, and I think about it now, you know, you talk about people that influence your life. You know, my family has always had a part in my, in my story in terms of putting me in front of um, influential men. Um, never knew it at the time, but, um, you know, a, a guy by the name of Coach Nolan who would take me to go do these fun runs and cross country because he used to run and, and do the New York marathons and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know it at the time, but I'm sure my mom put me in front of him. You know, um, whether it was soccer, basketball, cross country, track, sports were always a part of my life. Um, and, and growing up as a kid, you know, I used to go to like these YMCA camps. And, and, and there would be probably at that time, you know, young teenage guys that were probably in high school maybe, right, that would, that would be called up to go work a camp with, you know, inner city youth or whatnot. And I would always look at those guys and I'd be like, man, like how cool is it that this guy, you know, is like is working in this capacity. Like I want to be like one of those guys or maybe it was church camp. You know, and I go to church camp and then you'd go back down to your, your bunker or whatever, right? You go into your little cabin and you'd have another youth leader, you know, that was probably a teenager or, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. And I just, I kind of always looked up to those kind of people that, that stood for something and, and were influential uh, in, in holding a group. And so maybe, maybe that had some kind of a small play in, into getting into the field of coaching, but that's kind of where I grew up. Man, Coach, I, I don't know if you, like, looked up our history, me and Mike, but um, it seemed like we, we kind of lived parallel lives as far as how we got where we are. I guess uh, the biggest difference, it was just me. I had brothers and sisters, but my mom didn't raise them, you know, for, for other reasons or whatever. But it sounded like, for me, it was the boys' club. For you, it was the YMCA, and I had a lot of those same thoughts growing up, you know, seeing counselors at the boys' club running camps or going to boys' club camp and seeing those guys. And I became one of those guys at, at 15, you know, where I was, you know, able to work camps and, and make a little money and buy my own clothes and stuff. But, you know, one of the things you said, too, that stood out was that when you're going through it, you don't know how rough it is because that's just what you know. And your friends and everybody around you are going through the same thing. So that's just your life. You don't know that there's a, a for lack of a better term, a better way financially. Mm. You just know when I wake up in the morning, there's something to eat on the table. When I come home for lunch, there's something. I got clothes on my back. Um, but when you're going through it, you just go through it. But when you have kids and you get older and you think about some of the you know things you deal with with your kids and we're in a financially stable place, and to think my mom had to deal with me in that same way without financial stability. Mm -hmm. And how did, how was she able to do that? 
you know, um, you know, and it's, it's amazing to kind of think back on some of the things that you went through and um, how much you appreciate it now. Like you said, you couldn't appreciate it when you were going through it. You know, like like you said, you know, thinking back to an example, I remember this clear as day for some reason. Uh, you know, we were in the same boat, grew up as five kids, uh, you know, both my parents, but only my dad worked. You know, my mom stayed home with the kids and and uh, didn't have a lot of money, you know, when I was a child. You know, but in school, uh, I think I was a freshman. And uh, one of my uh, friends, he, he had just moved from the other side of town, more affluent area. And... Um, and he came over to the house, and we gotten pretty close. And, hold on a second. And, <laughs> all right, you know, <laughs> my wife's at work right now, so it's just the kids. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, and so he was from a more affluent neighborhood, more affluent school. Uh, lived a totally different life, but his dad was a principal in our district, so he came to school with him. And so uh, he'd come over to the house, and the first time he was at the house, he kind of just went and grabbed some food and started eating. And I said, hey, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You know, you can't, you can't just do that. He's like, but it's just, I said, yeah, but that stuff has to last. Like, uh, yep. it's got to last us the whole week until my dad gets paid again. And he's like, oh, oh, uh, well, here's 20 bucks. I said, I don't want your money. Just stop eating our food, you know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> You know, but something, <laughs> something small like that, like uh, just that little right. lifestyle to where he, he came from a, a, a household where he didn't have to worry about that. If I want to eat this food, yeah. I go eat the food and, and we just buy some more. And so, uh, so but I, I didn't know there's a, a, another way to live, right? Until, right. until being around uh, people like that, you know, which is not a bad thing. It's just it opened my eyes a little bit. And, and sure. to go back to what you said, Marv, no, I, I didn't research you guys' history. It's just funny how life works that way. <laughs> And the parallel right. lies is just, I guess you guys are meant to be on the same episode. There you go. <laughs> yep. Let's uh, talk about your coaching journeys. Um, where'd you start um, up until this point? You know, what, what are some of your goals moving forward? You know, for me, and, and that's uh, Marcus, we've talked about that earlier, man. You know, listening to all these episodes, and I've listened to every single one of them, there's a common theme you know, that, that the journey of a lot of these coaches that you've interviewed have had a significant um, uh, destiny, if you will, right? Like they had probably five, six different roles from middle school to high school to, a, to an assistant head coach to then to a head coach at maybe a smaller classification maybe back to an assistant coach and then head coach. Right. And that's kind of where they've been for the last 15, 20 years. Um, my, my experience is not parallel to them at all. Um, my coaching experience um, started right after, right after college when I finished my master's at Texas tech and um, started coaching AAU for about two or three years and uh, while I was doing that, I was a volunteer coach over at Steel High School. Steel High School opened up uh, 16 years ago, which is crazy to say, man. Um, coach uh, Hubbard and I got there uh, year two. They didn't, they didn't have a JV team and they didn't have a freshman team. So there was just a coach there at the time. Um, but Lonnie and I have been there for the last 15 years. Um, and I volunteered my first year, maybe two years max, and, and got moved into a freshman role. Um, was the head 
uh, freshman coach for, I guess, four, four years, five years. And then uh, uh, the head coach at the time moved on to different things. And so Lonnie moved up as the head coach. And then I moved up as the assistant coach. And, man, I'm, I'm going on year 15 at Steel High School. I've never had, I've never had any other experience. Um, and, it, and it's been a ride. I mean, it, it's been amazing. You know, I mean, with three state Final Fours in nine years, uh, 2013, 16, and 19, it's uh, I'm very blessed and very fortunate to be where I'm at. Um, you know, and although I don't have the storyline of, of maybe three or four or five high schools, I think this one experience that I've had at Steel has been one heck of a ride. You know, and it's uh, it's something that I can definitely cherish. And um, going back to where I went to high school, MacArthur, you know, like you think about how many programs have not made the state tournament. And, and to say that we've been there three times as an assistant coach, to me, man, it's I couldn't have asked for anything better. So I, I embrace my story. I embrace the fact that I've only been at one school. But I mean, absolutely, I desire and, and aspire to be a head coach and, and take what what Lonnie's taught me and and what the program has taught me and take it on and, and become a head coach and start that journey. Um, and, and hopefully, God willing, that will happen soon. You know, that, to kind of elaborate on what you're saying, first, let me just say Lonnie's an outstanding person, and so you've had a heck of a mentor this last uh, 15 years or so. Um, you know, but the one thing I love about what I've been doing with these uh, coaches and talking to them is everybody's journey looks different. You know, it's a little different here. Maybe it's two schools, maybe it's five schools, or or maybe it's just one, you know, but everybody's got their own story, and that's what makes it, it, it special, right? You know, everybody's got their own story to tell, and so. Yep. Marv, what's yours? Mine is probably a total contrast to his. Um, I, you know, I started coaching while I was still at UTSA. I got a uh, Neville Shedd was a mentor of mine, still a mentor. And I was um, at UTSA and he got a phone call from TMI asking, um, hey, you got a guy that can come over and help us out. We got a, a coach that's moving into a position. And the coach had never coached before. He had refereed and things like that, and he was doing the, the families a favor because they wanted a, um, a familiar face. So I went over there part-time, you know, um, and I got to, you know, do a lot over there because although I didn't have any experience coaching per se, I had a vast amount of experience just playing the game or being around the game. So I got a chance to, to really do a lot there. Was there one year, um, was, you know, was supposed to go to Antonian, um, from there, um, went to Antonio and actually with Coach Bruce back in the day. and um, But that didn't really work out because I, I was going to school. I had a full-time job, and um, his schedule was a little bit more um, complex because he had like seven teams. So I stopped coaching there. Uh, probably the next year I left, packed up and left and went to grad school in Alabama, went to you know, United States Sports Academy and got my master's degree got my bachelor's degree from UTSA, master's degree from the United States Sports Academy. Um, while I was there, I did an internship with the men's program at the University of South Alabama um, under Bob Wedlake. Um, Rick Pelfrey took over while I was still there, but I didn't really get to work with him a lot. Um, then I moved to Florida, and that's where I effectively started my public school coaching. Um, assistant middle school football coach, um, basketball coach found out about me at the high school and um, 
had me come up and help him at the high school. The next year, got moved up to the high school teaching and coaching. Was there a year. Had my son. We decided to move back to Texas. And that's when I got on the girls' side. And that was just because that was the only thing available when I got in town. Just so happened I went to the program at the time that was ranked number one in the state, which was Towns High School, ran by Pam Owens. May she rest in peace. But she became like my my ace. Like every a lot of the stuff I learned about how to be a professional, how to go about your business, a lot of that came from her. Um, and just having that on my resume for one year because she left and went to Tennessee with Pat Summit. So having that on my resume for one year, I ended up getting the head coaching job at St. Mary's Hall um, on the girls' side, and I was there as the head coach for five years. Um, as you hear my story, I've been a lot of places. Um, that by far was probably the best experience I had um, because there was no high, no expectations. So I was able that those five years, I was able to figure out who I was as a coach. You know, philosophically, um, uh, just my sideline decorum, like everything. You know, I learned how to make adjustments. My first three years, we ran three totally different offenses. So I was able to experiment and figure out, you know, different aspects of the game. And then we started to have success. In my last two years, we had really good success. Um, and then from there, I went to Trinity University. Um, Amy Bradley allowed me to come over there and be a volunteer. Um, First day of practice as a volunteer, she pulls everybody together and tells them, hey, this is Coach Walker. He's going to be volunteering, and he's going to um, show y'all how to run a one-two-one-one press. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so we, I became the defensive coordinator there, and the next year I got the, the head job. The assistant left and went to Oklahoma. So then I was at Trinity University for two years, and then I was going to um, start coaching with Cameron Hill, Bob Hill's son, who's the head girls coach there now. And then I got a coach, a call from a coach from upstate New York, from Buffalo area, who told me that the coach at Binghamton was looking for a male assistant coach. And she recommended me, uh, end up talking to the head coach at Binghamton University, um, had a couple of phone interviews. They flew me out, interviewed me there, offered me a job. I took the job, uh, packed up and moved to Binghamton to get some Division One experience. Was there a year, the head coach had one year left on our contract after that. My wife and son didn't come. Initially, they were going to come, and they decided to stay. My wife had a good job. Son was at a good school. And it didn't seem so bad in the beginning because I was back here, you know, every couple of weeks, either recruiting or holidays. And uh, so we decided, let's just wait till the summer. Well, by the time the summer came, I kind of knew that the head coach might not be coming back, so I resigned and moved back home. Um, ended up going over to uh, St. Luke's Episcopal School. They called me out of the blue while I was trying to decide what I was going to do after Binghamton. Out of the blue, I get a phone call from St. St. Luke's Episcopal School. Now, my son is going to school there, but I don't know what made them think I was going to leave Division One to come to St. Luke's Episcopal School for pre-K-3 through 8th grade, and the job title they offered me was be the pre-K-3 through second grade PE teacher. And I was like, huh? And they were like, yeah, yeah, but if you're interested, let us know. And my mentor at the time, Amy Bradley, was with me. We was actually at the, the, the um, WBCA conference. 
and she was at UT at this point. So I'm walking with her and the entire UT staff. And I look at her and I show the phone. I'm like, St. Luke's just offered me a job. And she immediately said, take it. With no hesitation, she said, take it. And I thought, she crazy? Like, later on, she told me why. And she had a really good reason for why. And I ended up taking that job. And they, they made me the athletic director the second year. So I think that was their plan all along because the athletic director who hired me moved into administration. Um, so I was there three years. Honestly, uh, by December of that third year, you know, one day just in my quiet place, I was thinking, you know what, I like it here. You know, I like the people. I like the kids. You know, I think I might retire here. And then about two or three months later, I get a call from the head coach, the new hired, newly hired head coach at UIW. Hey, would you like to come over here? And I was like, well, sure. <laughs> so I went to UIW. I was there for three years. Um, and then um, she didn't get renewed. And... Um, was kind of out there in the wind, flapping in the wind again. And um, through a mutual friend, Alamo Heights, ended up um, giving me a call. And I'm at Alamo Heights now, going into my second year over there, back on the boys' side. So it's been quite the journey for me. Um, I've loved every minute of it. Some of it was kind of, you know, when you go to college life, you never know what the next year is going to be just because, you know, it's about winning and contracts and all that. Um, so I did a lot. I moved around a lot. I feel like I got a lot of experience, you know, a lot of viewpoints from different coaches and whatnot. And, um, you know, and now I'm here. Well, that is totally different than Mike's. You are absolutely <laughs> correct on that. <laughs> I need a towel, man. I need a towel. I'm tired. Hey, I need a sub. <laughs> but, but like you said, I mean, that's also a great experience. I mean, both of y'all had great experiences, but totally different. You know, you got an opportunity to work with so many different people and take what works best for you from all of them and apply it to what right. you're doing right now currently. So, I mean, whatever it takes, right? I mean, as long, long as you're learning and growing along the way, it's all that matters. For sure. Hey, I don't know if you're going to get into this, Marcus, or not about our, our, our hoops career. Are you going to get into that? We can't. Let's just do it right now. Talk about your so hoops career, Mike. What I was, was going to mention, Marvin, and you said something, and I've always said this, and it, it's really hard to convey this to, to you know, high school boy, you know, boys, um, but one of my best experiences is when I was at Tulsa, I, I was not recruited uh, to play basketball. I, I moved on uh, to more of an academic career, but I always had the passion of basketball, and, um, you know, University of Tulsa is a D1, you know, small D1. Um, that was in the WAC conference at the time, and my roommates were all heavily recruited basketball players. And at the time, Tulsa didn't even have an arena. They would practice in the rec center. And so my buddies told me when they were practicing, and that was when Bill Self was there. And so I would go inside the rec center at 1 o'clock when they were having practice, and I worked my academic schedule around this so I can go hoop when they were hooping. But I'm on the opposite end. And Bill Self and his staff is over there practicing, and every once in a while they'd be like, "Hey, we, we need a, we need a you know we need a dummy, we need a practice player." <laughs> I knew what I was doing, and and my my roommates at the time were the ones who kind of helped me out with that, so I got to participate there. So then that led to the next year, uh, Kathy McConnell Miller, who was the head women's coach at Tulsa at the time, she ended up putting together. Golly, guys, this is this is ninety five. This is the year yep. nineteen ninety five. And she puts together a men's practice squad. Hmm. And 
you know, looking at now, you look at how many schools, how many universities have a men's practice squad. And I know I was, you know, that's back in 1995. But if, if you, not 95, uh, I'm getting, I'm getting way, way back. This was 99. I apologize. 99. Um, you know, I, I never heard of that. I never heard of, of a bunch of guys coming together to be on the women's team. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. She's like, no, like, like you can play. And all these other guys that had been trying out, because I tried out. I tried to be a walk-on my freshman year and my sophomore year. And, she's, and so she took about seven of us that tried out um, for that, that year's team and put together a practice squad. And, and, and I'll never forget that. The, the opportunities that she extended to me, the relationships I was able to establish with Division One coaches, um, watching film. You know, like we, the seven of us, the guys would go in and we would watch film while the girls were out stretching and getting loose and warmed up. And we would study film on the opponents. And then we would have to go in to the court, you know, get loose or whatever and execute offense and defense. We got free gear. We got to sit right behind the bench. You know, they, uh, those girls were amazing. They were a heck of athletes too. So, so going up against D1 girls, Man, that's super competitive, and they ain't going to let nothing get past you, man. Those girls were feisty. Mm -hmm. They will fight. They're going to cross you up. They're going to take – and it's like, okay, all right. So it became this, this competition where you, you, I'm going to prove myself. Like, I'm, I'm not backing down from nobody here. Um, so fast forward now as a coach where at our, at our school, every year we have a practice squad. So we have like a G League, right? So like, you know, we got about seven, eight guys that don't make the JV team. And so we put them on a practice squad. And, and um, man, what that's done for our program um, and, and developing these kids. And, and one of the greatest stories um, that I can ever tell is Keenan Gums. And I don't, I don't know if you know who Keenan Gums is, man, but this kid – and I, and I trust me, I hope he watches this because this kid needs all the recognition that he can get because as a coach, you, the hardest day you have is the day you cut a kid. Mm -hmm. We hate that day, right? Right. But he was good enough to stay in our program, though. You could tell there was something there. And it wasn't my decision, but it was the coaching staff's decision on this kid. So we put him on the practice squad. And, and man, every day he would come to practice angry. I mean, just angry. And not not to where he would affect his game negatively, to where it affected his game positively. Yeah. And he was pushing all those guys. He, in my opinion, to this day, and I'll still say it, and I'll tell him in his face, he was, still was not ready. In my opinion, now as coaches, we have to realize when we're wrong. But I feel like we were right in the situation because it pushed him. But he chose not to wave the flag. He went to work every day, and so that kind of reminded me of you know being on that women's practice squad where here he is just like I was, you know, fighting for that spot, but I wanted to be a walk on on the men's team. Mm -hmm. And so he goes on and, and he's, he was one of the first players that we went to state in 2013 goes off to Shriner, you know, and, and becomes a medical red shirt one year because of his knee. And I know he'll, he'll get on to me for probably messing up the story here, but then became uh, you know, conference player of the year over at Shriner, still had a year of eligibility, went on to Liberty University, D1, took him to the, to the dance, and, and they were a 12-5 seed upset, I believe, in that first round. Um, but, you know, like, it just reminds me about all the things that we do and participate in that, that leads up to our coaching careers, you know. 
Um, and that was an experience, uh, Marvin, that, that you kind of reminded me of when you mentioned uh, being the head girls coach was one of the best things that ever happened to you. I think being on the women's practice squad my sophomore year was one of the best experiences I had. Um, that year, Tulsa ended up just getting short of the final four. We lost to North Carolina that year, but we were the Cinderella team that year. Um, but the next year, man, I walked on. I walked on at the University of Tulsa when uh, Buzz Peterson was there and, uh, you know, got to, got, you know, I'm sure it helped being recognized by the coaching staff and the people that were there that, that I could hoop. But, um, you know, I always tell people that, that my experience as a high school athlete was nothing like a college athlete. I went from, from playing a lot of minutes to playing to hooping and, and, you know, scoring points and stuff to sit in the bench in the last seat and never getting in the game at all. You know, and so as a coach now, those experiences for me allow me to coach from the first seat to the last seat. Mm-hmm. because I know what it's like to start and I know what it's like to ride the pine and I know what it's like to not even be in a Jersey. You know what I'm saying? So I think, although I may not have the same coaching pedigree, um, I think those experiences that I had, you know, have certainly shaped me as a, as a basketball coach today. Um, it's, it's funny. Like I said, Pamela Owens, I think was, was, you know, just a phenomenal coach. And it was funny because, I had never coached girls. And to be honest, when I took the job at Taft, I thought to myself, man, I don't want to coach girls. Like, I'm going to go over here and take this job and just kind of get in the system. And then I'm getting over to the boys' side as quick as possible because girls ain't – they're not serious about hooping. Like, I hadn't seen it. But I remember the first day I went up to the school to meet Coach. First of all, we probably sit in the office and talk for three hours. And the assistant athletic director was in the office, and he goes – Yep, that was the right hire. Like, you two are going to get along just fine. Um, so we had sitting there so long, you know, school ended, you know, whatever we was having that day, in services ended like at three. And we had sitting there and talked so long just about hoops, probably pulling out scratch paper, drawing out plays and situations and whatever. And we had been there so long that she was like, oh, the girls are coming right now for open gym at six. I'm like, it's six? And she was like, yeah, come down here. Let's go meet the girls. Well, she opens the door, and there was a girl by the name of um, Ashley was standing, like, right in front of the door, and she's crossing the ball between her legs, behind her back, and just effortlessly just – just and then I would say she just stopped, pops a three. And I kind of look at Coach, and I'm, and I'm like – and she was like, she can go, Coach. And she was like, and she can go. Her sister can go. And that girl right there, Natalie Gomez, she can go. And that girl right there, DeAndre Torres, she can go. And I'm just thinking, like, okay – they started playing pickup ball, and I was like, damn, like, girls, I mean, they were in there getting after it. And then as the season went on, being with Coach Owens, being around those girls, seeing how how much they love the game and how, hey, they can get down too. But the, the, but the thing that I was like, even as a, as a high school, she had a boys practice squad. I had never heard of a practice squad. Here's a high school girls coach telling me she got a boys practice squad. So she had about six or seven boys that she basically plucked out of her PE class that were pretty decent athletes, good kids, did the same thing, gave them gear, you know, you know, recognized them in the program and all that. And bar, bar none, she's the best coach. This is no disrespect to any of the other coaches I've worked for or worked under. By far, she, she's probably the best one just as far as 
been innovative and being all in and, you know, loving the game just as much as any guy I've ever been around. Um, you know, but I agree with you too, Mike, like your, your experience is what makes you the coach you are. Sometimes that experience is playing experience. I'm like you, I didn't, I didn't play college basketball. I came from Wichita Falls, Texas. I don't know if I say that, but I'm from Wichita Falls, Texas. In Wichita Falls, Texas, we didn't have AAU. We we barely had summer ball. And, you know, so nobody came in Wichita Falls to recruit us. And the only schools I knew about were like North Carolina, Texas, Duke, Oklahoma. And I knew I could hoop, but I knew I wasn't North Carolina, Texas, Duke, Oklahoma. So I didn't know about a a UIW or a St. Mary's or D3. I knew about none of that. So I was like, hey, God, Dean Smith didn't come to the gym to check me out, so I must not be good enough. So I just left it at that and went about my academic, you know, career. And then once I got to UTSA, I actually tried out at Midwestern State, and the coach offered me a red shirt spot. I declined because I needed to work to help my mom. And if I was going to be not going to be able to play, you know, and I might as well take that off. And I, I discussed it with Coach. Like, hey, here's my options. I can come here, be at every practice. I can go get a job and help my mom pay some bills. And he told me, man, go help your mom pay some bills. Come back next year. I ended up transferring to UTSA. You know, never played college ball. Played with a lot of college ball players. And there's people to this day who still think I played, played at UTSA. And I've never fabricated that or led anybody to believe that. But, because, but every time they walked into the gym, if the UTSA basketball team was playing pickup ball, I was in there with them. They were calling me to come hoop with them. And so there's people to this day. I get invited to the alumni events. That alumni event this past year, I got an invitation to the alumni event. And people, there thought still that I played at UTSA. So, but all of those experiences made me the coach. And I think being on the girls' side did something for my coaching style that going over to the guy side, I've never been like a big time, you know, yellow screamer. And I've had parents ask me, how are you so calm on the bench? And I think part of that was coaching girls because I just felt like as a man, and I don't want to sound stereotypical, but I just felt like as a man, yelling at private school girls on top of girls' period just wasn't, a, I didn't feel like that was the proper way to approach them. And then as I grew, I was like, in my opinion, that's not the proper way to coach anybody. You know, there's a time and place where, you know, you, you yell to get your point across. But for the most part, I, I feel like I teach the game, you know, um, and I don't do a lot of yelling and screaming. And I think part of that was my, my time on the girl side. It just kind of developed me into that type of coach. You know, Coach Silverstein, too, at Clark, he talks about his time on the girl side. Um, yeah. And he talks about how that made a huge impact in his in his coaching, and his uh, and the way he delivers a lot of his messages. Coach Silverstein, when I was at UTSA, Coach Silverstein was at Jay. He was at John Jay, and he used to invite the UTSA basketball players to come up there to John Jay to play against his guys, and I was right there with him. So we used to go up there. Sometimes Coach Silverstein would would throw on the shoes and come out there. And, and get a few buckets too, but I've known Coach Silverstein from way back then, and um, he's one of the coaches around the city that I I really admire and respect. You know the way he coaches and the way he approaches the game. Who, who are some other coaches that you guys both both you guys that look up to um, in that regard? 
Man, I would I would have to say for me, you know, I thought I thought about this because I anticipated you asking that question since you've asked it before. Um, and and the way I think about it, man, is maybe not not the way everybody thinks about it. To me, there's my honest uh, answer here. I can't say that I've had a, a um, very influential like person. I can say, man, it was this person. This person is a person who shaped me, this and that, whatever. But I'll say this. Every person that has ever coached me has a role in who I am today as a coach. And that's from growing up as a little kid to those – to those coaches that were coaching me because they knew they needed to reach me because I was a kid growing up in a single parent home that you don't think about it back then. Cause you're a kid. You're just in, you're just in the present. But now as an adult and as a coach, I can look back and say, man, look at all of these people that have coached me in my life that has shaped me and how they have influenced me and the things that I do and I say and how I act and my demeanor and my faith. So I'd have to answer this by saying every coach who has ever coached me um, has had the most influence in my life, but I didn't know it at the time, but I know it now, Um, you know, but now that I am a coach, man, it's hard not to say that, you know, coaching with coach Hubbard, um, you know, the dudes, the dudes like a saint, man, (laughs) like, uh, you know, his his walk in faith. And that's one of the things that we do. Um, I started a, a coach's Bible study at Steele about five or six years ago through coaches outreach. And um, Lonnie's been right there with me every step of the way. And he's been a part of that group. But, you know, in 15 years, man, you think about 15 years, man, like 15 more years, I might be able to retire. (laughs) So I've, I've spent potentially half of my career with one guy who's as incredible as he is, you know, has a big impact for the, when the day comes and I'm a head coach for the first time, you know, a lot of what what I have seen, a lot of what I've heard, um, his actions, his demeanor, his relationships with kids and parents and administration is going to go a long way uh, when I'm a coach. But um, some some people that I think influence me, one of the people that I like to mention is Charlie Bogus, because as a as a a young stupid coach. You know, I thought I had to be loud and vocal and vibrant and colorful on the sidelines. And, and, and part of that's the competitiveness in me. But then I would watch Charlie Boggs coach, you know, and I'm very observant. I love watching people and how they coach. And this guy is sitting on the, on, the, on the bench in his chair with his legs crossed and his arms folded. Guys like Popovich. I don't like – I don't get it. I don't know how they do it, but they coach – so quietly, man, but when they speak up and they've got something to say, watch how the players react to that coach's, uh, you know, whatever he's trying to get his kids to do. He's had an influence on me. Um, I hope he listens so he, he understands that because, um, you know, that, that taught me a lot early in my, in my coaching career. Um, but some college coaches, um, Shaka Smart, when he was even at VCU, and, and, and I saw them YouTube videos of him going out there and doing all the military-style workouts with his players out in the trenches. Man, that taught me a lot because I, I'm an avid exerciser. I love doing uh, Spartan races and, and that kind of stuff, and so it got my wheels turning. And so now at Steel, we do some of that kind of stuff in the preseason. As a matter of fact, our first Saturday practice of the year 
we're not in the gym. We're out doing stuff like that at a place out here in the in New Braunfels and Bulverde area, um, mm-hmm. that military-style training. So that really helped me. But one coach right now that, uh, that is influencing me, um, being able to go to some of his coaching clinics and, and listening to him talk and um, is Buzz Williams out of A&M. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, guy, that guy and his walk and his um, attention to detail, everything he does is intentional. Um, that challenges me as a coach, even as an assistant coach, because, you know, if you're not doing something intentional, then why are you doing it? You know, you're just throwing in a drill that day, just throwing a drill, you know, or this offense or that defense. He's so intentional, and I highly recommend if you ever get a chance to go one of his coaching clinics that he does, you're, you're going to see how intentional that guy is with the time that he wakes up, how many books he's reading, the quotes that he has on his, on his calendars. I mean, it is – it's bizarre. But um, anyway, Marvin, go ahead, man. Um, for me, I, I, like you said, I, I'm a keen observer of people's – two things I, I observe is the way, you know, folks just kind of carry themselves in their everyday life if I'm, if I'm you know, able to see that. But just the way they, they interact with their kids on the bench, um, the, the respect – you can you can see the respect, how their kids um, react to them, and um, you know whether they you can see how much a coach cares, how much they love their kids by the way their kids respond to them and for them, and um, that's always been something big for me, like relationships. Um, so the coaches who I've really you know looked up to in that aspect from early on. You know, Dean Smith was my guy. Like I, you know, if I wasn't if I wasn't doing a book report on Isaiah Thomas, who's my all-time favorite player, then it was going to be Dean Smith. It was one of the two. My, if my teachers ever got together over my four or five years of from middle school to high school, they'd have been like, "Hold up!" Every other year he wrote about Isaiah Thomas, and that other year he wrote about Dean Smith, and he pretty much handed the same paper in every time. Um, <laughs> but those were. Those, Dean Smith was like, I, I just love the way he carried himself on the sideline. Um, he, he, you know, like you said, Mike, when he when he yelled and screamed, they listened because he didn't do it a lot. Um, and then Pat Summit was also somebody I looked up to. And I tell you what really gained so much respect. Uh, I gained so much respect for Pat Summit. I went to a camp, to a clinic in um, Fort Lauderdale. And it was the Biden Clinic, so it was um, Pat Summit, Bruce Pearl, and Bobby Knight were there. Um, and so, like I said, Pam Owens got to know Pat Summit really well because she went to her basketball camp like every year for like 17, 18, 20 years and worked the camp. And ultimately, that's how she got the invitation to come do a grad assistantship when she was in a, she was like 40, 41, and she still went and did it. So we went to this, and we used to go to clinics together. So we went to this clinic. And um, after the clinic, of course, we'd go up to, you know, Pam to say hi to Pat, and they hug and talk a little bit. Pam introduces me to, to Pat, and Pat looks me straight in the eyes and goes, what did you think? And I went, about what? And she said, about my, my, my presentation. Did I, did I do good? Did I, do, did I do, do good stuff? And I'm looking at her like, <laughs> you could have stood up there and stared at us for an hour and we would have took notes on your stare. Like the, the, <laughs> and, 
I mean, so I was just like so, like she's so humble to ask me at the time, a freshman girls basketball coach at San Antonio Taft High School, what I thought about her presentation, you know, and she did do good stuff. And, and that's what made her, you know, who she was. Like she was, she didn't come up there and tell us about all the championships she won and all the, the WNBA players and, you know, national, you know, um, championship in America, you know, that she didn't tell us all her credentials. We all knew that anyway. She got up and spoke for about two minutes, and then she started doing drills for an hour, hour and a half. And they were all drills that I wrote in my notebook. And to this day, I run some of those drills or I run some of my presses or whatever it may be based off the numbers, like her press, like she called 21. And if somebody, if we were in our full, in our full court press and they scored a layup, and she yelled 21, whoever scored the layup, you immediately pressed the ball out of bounds. And everybody else filled in. You know, so I started running 21 based on how she taught it. But just the fact of who she was to ask little old me, like, what do you what do you think? You know, and then as far as high school, you know, like I said, Pam Owens, um, you know, Cliff Ellis was somebody that I played a lot of ball with um, at UTSA when he would come back home. We played a lot of pickup ball, played in, you know, in some summer leagues or whatever, and then to get to watch him as a coach. And if you ever got to play pickup ball with Cliff, his demeanor on the court is exactly his demeanor on the sideline. It's the exact same, like, never gets rattled, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, watching him coach, he's the same way. Um, so I've always, you know, respected the way he goes about his business as a coach. And just as a person, like he's a great person. So he's somebody who I kind of, you know, um, look up to. And it's funny to say that because I might be older than him, but um, to look up to Cliff, you know, as a coach. Um, you know, that's a few others. You know, right now being with Coach Brewer, one of the things about Coach Brewer is you can tell that, like, it's like he never has a bad day. Really, like, every day he comes in and he can tell you it was the worst day he's had in his entire life, but he's still smiling. Yeah, and he's still smiling. Yeah, and he might say, "Man, today was, today was terrible," but guess what, Coach Walker? We're in the gym, and that's gonna make it all better. <laughs> and and we go from there. Like, but you know, so just kind of being, you know, in his program right now, you know, and just kind of seeing how much he loves it, how much he loves the kids, and um, you know, and everything about it. You know, a parent might rip into him on an email or a text. He don't get it, like he don't even like he'll he'll mention it, and he might say you know kind of his thoughts on it, and then it's done, you know. Where some coaches will let that you know influence the practice or whatever. Um, so those are probably the, the guys that I you know look up. And then having Coach Moore on our staff, mm-hmm. you know, heard Moore who's you know coached forever, Coach Shaq. You know, a lot of times we'd be on the bus, and then him might be sitting next to each other, and he's. It reminded me of when I was a Pam. We're going back and forth on, you know, this wrinkle or that wrinkle. Or how about this play, Coach? Or what you think about if we – when we play tonight, if we kind of look at this off of this and put him in this position? I'm like, Coach, I was thinking the same thing, but what if we did this and what if we did that? Oh, yeah, I did that two years ago. And, you know, it's just kind of back and forth. So having all that knowledge, you know, in one room, it, it, it's fun to be around as well. All great influences. Everyone, everyone that both of you guys named. And what I've learned is – is uh, 
a lot of those guys that you named, we all kind of we all know, but but most of the coaches are are willing to 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 give to other coaches. You know, you need help. What do you need? I got right. you. And yeah. so that's the beautiful thing about our profession and what we do. Um, I've never had a coach that I've ever asked for for advice or help. I've never had them say, "Nah, uh, go ask somebody else." Right? Everybody's so willing to to help, and that's that's awesome. Really awesome. And Marcus, I'm gonna add uh, real quick. I'll keep it short, but I being a um, being a walk on has been something that shaped me um, as a basketball player and as a coach. And I I, I can't forget to mention uh, Coach Phillips and Coach uh, uh, Peterson when they were at Tulsa after Bill Self left. Um, you know, getting that phone call from from an assistant coach, and you, you go back and you think about the things that have happened in your life. You know, walking home after tryouts, I think it was like the second day of tryouts or something like that, and, and my phone rings, and it's, you know, the assistant coach, Coach Phillips, giving me a call. He's like, hey, uh, can you be at practice tomorrow morning? That's all. I mean, I remember it. I picked up the phone, and that's what he said. Can you be at practice tomorrow morning? And so my, I, I'm talking, I'm like, wait a minute. So did I make the team? <laughs> He's like, can you be at practice tomorrow morning? We need you to come pick up your uniform. And I lived about a mile off campus, and I didn't have a car. So I just got done tryouts, walking home, you know, just kind of playing back the tryouts in my head. He's like, you think you can come by and pick up your uh, your uniform? You know exactly what I did. I turned around and I sprinted, man. And uh, But I'll never forget <laughs> that because because as, as a coach now that has a practice squad, the emotions that I felt when a coach gave me a chance is the same pride that I have when I'm able to tell a kid yes, yeah, yeah. you know, and so I can carry that. So I, I can't do that without, without saying that they had a part in my life and giving me that opportunity. And uh, that year we won the NIT uh, championship against Alabama. And that was just, that's an experience that you can't take away from me. And those two coaches gave me that opportunity. So I just wanted to throw that in there. I was going to say, I would have took off running. Uh, sounds like you did. Right. So. Oh, I sprinted. Like he wouldn't even got the phone yet. He'd have been like, what, were you in your hallway? Knocking on the door. You put your phone down. I'm right here. Um, yep. what, the last thing I wanted to say is that, you know, I look back as an assistant coach, you know, and when I was a head coach, I tried to do the same thing for my assistant. But as assistant coach, I've been blessed in the places that I've been, um, the places that, you know, I believe my journey, God had his hand on every part of that. There's no doubt, um, you know, but everywhere I went, you know, from my first assistant coaching job, for my, you know, in, in Florida, and I remember we was in a playoff game and um, playing a team that we were supposed to lose to in the first round. This is my first year coaching. And um, we're up four, I believe. And I look at the head coach, and I said, let's get in a three-two. It's about five seconds left. Matter of fact, no, we were up three. And it's about five seconds left, and they called a timeout. We hadn't ran zone all year. And I look at coach, and I said, let's run a three-two. And he looks at me. I was shocked that he didn't know what a three-two was. But he had enough confidence and faith in me that – when the timeout, he gave me the clipboard and told me, put him in it. And we drew up a 3-2. The kids went out and got in the 3-2. The other coach didn't know what to do. And his kid, basically, they stared at each other. And the kid just bounced the ball for about three or four of those seconds and then launched the ball for maybe two feet in front of half court. But to think back on that and go, we're in a playoff game. This coach had been coaching for like 20 years. Like, he wasn't so, – I was shocked that he didn't know the three two was. Yeah. He truly did not know. 
but the fact that he had the faith in me to come up put a defense on the board that he didn't even know what it was. I could have been coming up with some some BS. And he was like, here you go. And we won the game. And, and to think that that coach had that kind of confidence in me and allowed me to to really be a part of that team. And then fast forward to coaching with Pam Owens. Again, we're in a, in a game, and Pam knew more basketball than probably some of us can forget, especially at that point. I mean, this lady kept – like. When she passed, her husband invited me to the house to pick up stuff, and she literally had a room that had everything you could think of, every camp she had ever been to, every basketball she ever had signed, every video, every – it was like just a, like a Hall of Fame of stuff. But anyway, we're in the middle of a game, and we're up two points, or three points, or seven points, things like seven points. And she calls a timeout, and she looks at me and goes, Marvin, you got you to play for this situation? And I go, Yes. I had nothing, but I came up with something. <laughs> I drew up a, I drew up an inbound play based, I mean, uh, length of the court. Girl, first girl in line, turns and takes off running and wide open and shoots a layup. And she turns around and gives me the biggest high five in front of everybody in the gym. And I thought, wow, again, she had a play. She didn't have to add. Like, the difference was the guy in Florida didn't know what the 3-2 was. She had, like, probably 30 plays she could have ran, and she just gave me an opportunity. So I was, you know, so I've been blessed to be places where coaches allowed me to be a part. It wasn't just carrying the clipboard mm -hmm. or, you know, being the, the practice dummy or whatever. Like, they allowed me to grow with them as a coach. Um, a couple of more coaches that I left off, I want to say real quick, with Tina Camacho and Treva. Um, mm -hmm. Both of them, I watched them because when I was at Taft, Tina was the head coach at Holmes High School. I believe Treva was on our staff. Yep. So I've known them since 19, um, what was that, 2004. I've known them and to watch them and to get to sit in on some of their practices and see the success they've had. Those are two more that I respect a lot. Now, I, I, don't, I don't really know Treva, but I did an episode with her a few days ago. And so to get to know her a little bit uh, through that, uh, she's a pretty amazing yep. person, definitely. She is. Yeah, for sure. And, um, no, you're right, though. It's important that head coaches empower their assistants, you know, especially if those assistants aspire to be head coaches um, themselves. And so, you know, I try to do the same thing with my guys. My, my assistant just got a head coaching job, so he just moved uh, moved away his first head coaching job. And I know he's going to do, you know, good things. And I try to do my best while he was with me uh, for those few years to uh, give him big roles, you know, even even up, up until this, this last season, you know. You know, same thing. Hey, you know, we're, there's four seconds left. We're at Harlandale. Harlandale down one. Hey, yep. you got something or not? Draw it up. Get in the huddle. Draw it up. And he did. You know, and we end up getting a, a shot. We got fouled. Go to free throw line. Win the, win the game with 0.5 seconds left. You know, it's just, uh, you know, but give them that uh, sense of empowerment. You're a part of this team, you know, and, and put them in the fire. Right. One time, Pam, um, she told me, hey, practice next week on Tuesday. You got practice. And I was like, yeah, I'll be here. I'm always here. She's like, no, 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 you got practice. I'm going to be your assistant that day. So you you come up with your own practice plan. Whatever you want to do, you ain't got to do what I've done. Come up with your own practice plan, and I'm going to be your assistant that, that day, and you tell me what you need me to do. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was, you know, another, you know, great opportunity that she empowered me to, to um, you know, get my feet wet. That's, that's, that's wonderful to hear for both of you guys. Um, NBA's back. You guys excited? Y'all been watching? 
Man, I don't usually watch the NBA, but, man, I'm going to be watching a lot of NBA basketball. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched – I didn't get to watch it yet, but I'm going to definitely be watching. I can't wait to just – like, I watch pickleball if they put it on TV. I'm so excited for some sports. Um, so, yeah, so I'll definitely be watching. I usually don't watch a whole lot of NBA. I like college a little bit more, yeah. unless there's certain guys playing NBA. But um, I'm definitely going to be watching. You know, uh, impactful moments in your career that, that make you realize what we do is much deeper than just coaching the game of basketball. You know, it doesn't have to be a specific ex- example, or it can be. It's, it's up to you guys. It can be pretty general or not. But a moment that, that kind of reminds us that what we do it goes much deeper than coaching how to win games and how to play ball. Um, you know, I had a um, – at St. Mary's Hall, I had a girl, and she was probably the first kid who really – who really trusted me as a coach. Um, I got to work with her as an eighth grader because I was in private school. So I got to work with her as an eighth grader. Then ninth grade year, I got her, um, you know, and she was probably the first, like I said, player to really buy into Coach Walker and what he's doing, right? So and she lived around the corner from the gym. So that was, that was quite a few times that after practice, we want to go to Dallas route. After practice, you know, she stick around. I work with her on that shot or whatever. And, you know, kind of the joke we kind of came, she's my basketball daughter. Daughter, That's kind of the joke. And even that family would say in our household, it's coach, you know, it's, it's mom, dad. And then what would Coach Walker do? What would Coach Walker say? Um, so we had this relationship, you know, uh, you know, that was really tight. You know, I was tight with a lot of my kids. But I remember probably – the most impactful moment going into her junior year before the season starts, she comes up to me and I mean, this girl loved it just as much as I did. And she said, coach, I, I think I'm a quit basketball. And my heart dropped, like it literally dropped. And I went, why? And she said, she said, I love the game, but the game don't love me. And I said, it sounds so poetic, but so like, I was like, what? And she said, I put in all these hours and hours of practice and, you know, workouts and, you know, shooting with you and this and that. And I mean, she was just, and it just doesn't seem to be showing up on the court. And I told her, I said, look, I said, I don't know how all this is going to play out. Are you going to get a scholarship to college? Are you going to get all that? What kind of success you're going to have on the court? But I can tell you that the hard work and everything you're putting into it, it's going to translate to life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's going to, you know, you, you're picking up some values that's going to make you a better person. And I said, another thing is you never know when that breakthrough is going to come. So you're not quitting basketball. I thought she was going to tell me like she had a medical condition or something that she had no control over. But her doubt was not going to be the reason. So I said, so we'll see you at practice tomorrow. And she just kind of looked at me and said, OK. So she comes to practice. We, you know, she keeps working hard or whatever. So we go to play um, in a tournament over at, um, at over in um, Bulverde, a little private school in Bulverde. And so, and this is my my fourth year, which is her her third year going into her junior year. And we play, and we were we were clicking. By then, we were clicking because that her sophomore year we ran a system and we kept that system the next year. So we were clicking. So we end up winning the game, whatever. And afterwards, the coach from Concordia Lutheran um, comes up to me and go, hey, coach, um, you know, introduced himself and said, um, great team you got there. And, he, you know, tell me a little bit about number 21 and number 
for one, number one was a freshman that nature. Like she was, she could palm the ball. She could dribble between her legs. She could do things as a freshman that was D1 level. So everybody always noticed her. And number 21 was this other kid. And, um, you know, he said, well, I would love to talk to them both, you know, blah, 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 and give me cards. So I go up to her afterwards, you know, we, we're about to get on the bus to go get something to eat. And I said, hey, come here. And she comes over and she had these big blue eyes and they were like, like, coach, like, what? like she's smiling because we wanted our eyes are real big. And I go, hey, you remember when you told me um, uh, you love the game, but the game don't love you? And she kind of looked at me like, yeah. And I handed her the card from this college coach and she looks at it and she looks back up at me and she goes, no way. And I go, way, way. And she's like, this is the college coach. And like, she literally like both of our eyes like welled up with tears because she realized, and she had 32 points that game. So she went from the year before averaging about five or six. But the thing is, she always believed in me. If I told her to go climb a wall, it wasn't why, it was which wall. That's four of them. Which one do you want me to climb? Yeah. And that was kind of her mentality with me. And it, and it ended up paying off. But the fact that, that I got to see that success, and like I told her, I may not see it until you're an adult. Maybe you're, you're a parent or whatever, but you're going to have some success. She ended up going to play at Colorado College. But for me, that's what it was all about. Seeing a kid work a tail off, do everything the right way, and then see some, some, some reward for her efforts. And that's why I coach. That's why, you know, those moments is what I love to see and love to be a part of. What about you, Mike? That's good stuff, man. Marvin, you know, you said the word success, and I think that has a lot to do with what we do, um, even in the, in the classroom, you have, you have to number one, define success. What is, what is success as a teacher? What is success as a coach? And I don't know, it's just me. I, I would think that a lot of people would not have a definition of success as a test score in the classroom or a championship ring. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're, we would all love to win state, but there's only one team that that happens to, right? So if you ask people what their definition of success is, and I think that's where you're going to find those, those stories like you just shared, Marvin, that, that you, when you reach a kid, those connections that you make, the relationships that outlast the time that they're at your school, the, the thank yous that you get, the emails that you get, the parents that end up saying thank you when they graduate, thank you for all you've done for my son. Um, you know, I think those are those pivotal moments as a coach when, when you realize um, you're where you're supposed to be, and that's our God-given talent is to be able to coach these kids and, and mentor these young men. But for me, man, there, there's a couple of stories that stand out to me, and they're both pretty dark, man. We had, a, um, we had two tragedies back-to-back year, uh, -back years with uh, two of our athletes. One, um, man, we had high hopes for this kid, um, Jay Hill. Um, man, was just talented, was athletic, could jump out of the gym, was just shocking everybody with, with what he was doing in his sophomore year. And uh, shortly thereafter, he, he ended up leaving. He ended up uh, leaving and going to Florida and, and transferring um, out of nowhere uh, to go stay with maybe grandparents or somebody else. I can't really remember. Um, man, and within a week or so, he was killed in a car crash. Um, and And – you know, just the, the environment with the kids, the, the, the not understanding, um, having to talk to your athletes, you know, about a, a guy that, that, you know, you have brotherhood with. Those conversations have nothing to do with basketball. 
-hmm. you know, they had to do with life and the end of life and, and Christ. And when you're able to do that, um, you're, you're reaching a kid on an, on another level. You're, you're, this ain't about basketball anymore. This is about teaching a young man that, that you cherish the day that's given to you. And you wake up in the morning and you think, thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for the breath that I have. And then the next year, man, we had another athlete, um, another player that was on our, our first eight team, Justin Gage, was shot and killed, um, Sam Marcus. Um, crazy enough, they were both number four. Um, you know, so just, just everything that that encompassed and those opportunities to, to talk about things other than basketball, which that's what we do. Those, those impactful moments that we have with kids usually are stuff about um, other things other than basketball. Um, so th th those were those were pretty impactful for me. But going back to that kid, Keenan, I'll never forget this. And I don't know that I've ever shared this with him. So, again, I hope he hears it. But we're at a Kerrville Tybee tournament. And I'm, I'm holding the door open for all the guys as they're going into CeCe's Pizza. And he just looks me in the eyes and says, Coach, why don't you ever cuss? I was like, like, where did that question come from, right? So clearly this kid had been thinking about this. Clearly this kid has picked up on that, right? Like, like he's got to be intuitive enough to know that, hey, this is kind of different, right? Most coaches do this. You don't. And so that allowed, allowed me an opportunity to kind of get a little personal with him about some scripture, Ephesians 4.29. And, and I've tried to live by that since 2005. But um, those impactful moments for me are any time that I get to have um, – a conversation with kids on a deeper level that does not have to do with basketball. Mm -hmm. Those are powerful moments, coach, for sure. You know, before we call this one a day, um, you know, going back to you brought up, you know, the uh, climate of race in our country. You know, what are some things that uh, our society could learn from the locker room of an athletic program? Because, you know, in athletics, you know, you get people from all walks of life, all diff different races, everything, and, and able to build that family environment, you know. So what are your thoughts on that? Man, I, I'll, I'll tell you this, and, and I don't know if uh, – it, it's a hard one, and these are all tough conversations as I'm learning um, about race is, is that uncomfortable conversation that we have to have. Um, and I'll try not to be long-winded here, but I think – and this is a very simplistic answer. Um, I think it all comes down to love. And that's the answer. The answer is when, when you have a team and you have a brotherhood and you're able to be able to give an athlete a hug at the end of a game, maybe because he missed the last shot, you're teaching them that it's okay, but I still love you, right? In spite of the fact that, that you missed that shot or a free throw, or maybe it's celebratory after the game because he hit the winning shot. That same hug is just as impactful to show a young man that we truly care about him. You know, I said it earlier, you've got to be able to coach from the first seat to the last seat. And um, I say this a lot with some professional development that I do with teachers. If you want to know if you're a good teacher, ask your worst student. You know, in the game of basketball, if you want to know if you're a good coach, ask your worst athlete on your team. Because what he says or what she says 
and you listen to it and, and you can take what their answer is, that's the, that's the opportunity for you to grow as a coach. But I think a lot of people are fearful of asking that question because of what they're about to hear. So for me, when you show love to that starting five, you've got to show that same love to the guy that doesn't get the playing time. Yeah. So that when the opportunity comes, when we need to talk about race, it ain't just talking about race. They already know Coach Herrera and the way he thinks, what his values are. And, and, and I think uh, just going back to my Christian values, if we can show more love to people and, and show Christ through our actions and our words, um, kids see that. Kids, um, you know, kids are kids, they're teenagers, man, and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to party and they're going to have fun. And they're going to do this and that in college. But guess what? They're going to grow up and be young men. And they're going to be like you and I. And the things that we do and the things that we say and the actions that we do, um, even when no one's looking, our kids are watching. You know, they're keeping a little mental journal of the things that we do. And, and that's my definition of success is that when they later on in life come back and they tell me the impact that I had on their life, just like we've talked about today, how other people have impacted our lives. Um, it's going to come full, full circle, man. But I just feel like in, in the, uh, the racial climate right now, um, there, there's a lot of political debates, right? There's, there's, there's people on both sides. There's people that don't educate themselves, but just speak freely because they're so opinionated on something that they haven't looked up. And, and, and we could probably write a book on all the things that people think about racism. But I think there's one commonality, in my opinion, is that we just need to show more love to people. And I know that's a very simplistic thing, but that's my Christ-centered value in me, in my upbringing, um, is, is, just, is just to embody that, to embody love. And if we can do that with our athletes, you know, I'm hoping that when you plant that seed, it, uh, it spreads like a wildfire. Marvin, you're on mute. There you you're go. On mute, Marv. My bad. I'll give my son some directions over here. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, love is the foundation for, you know, along with respect, just respect people for who they are. Um, you know, one, you know, that there was a time in my career, and that, and there's still some time, to be honest with you. I asked myself, why am I where I'm at? The, but, you know, most of my career has been, you know, especially, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the Alamo Heights community, if you will, whether it was at Alamo Heights, whether it was at UIW, whether it was at St. Luke's Episcopal School, all in the 09. And then I was at St. Mary's Hall, where a lot of those kids come from Alamo Heights. So I remember one time asking myself, why, as a, as a black man, why, why am I here? Why am I here? There's not a lot of color here. There's, you know, um, honestly, there's probably some, some, some schools, you know, on the east side or west side or somewhere where there's a lot more kids who look like me, who I can mentor and, and share my story of how, yeah, I was in some situations just as bad as you guys are, and I made it out and, and share my story and be like a you know, an example of, of what you can do if you put your mind to it. You know, so there's been those times. But then one day, you know, you know, I guess God kind of opened my eyes to a different view of why, I, why I'm doing what, I, what I'm doing. And, and, and the decision I came up with is that I'm in this community. I'm in this community to show 
this community that, you know, these young kids, pre-K-3, you know, first graders, second graders, ninth graders, high schoolers, that black men are more than just entertainers, are NBA players and things like that, you know, are, you know, whatever other view they may have had that might not have been being a teacher or being a, a lawyer or a doctor or having those real relationships. So I decided that my role is maybe to show these kids a different view of who a black man is and love them unconditionally and earn that same love back from them. So when they left and maybe, you know, somebody, you know, I saw a, a question the other day on Facebook and it said, you know, and it was in a Black Lives Matter um, page. And the question was, how old were you when you had your first black male teacher? And the answer, and y'all are probably thinking about it now if you ever had one or not, but the answer for most people was either I never had one, um, or maybe I had one in college, or I had one in PE, you know. Um, but I thought that was a very profound question. And for me, I thought, how many of my kids am I the answer to that? And then how many of those kids, not only am I the answer, but maybe I'm the reason they, they, they're not afraid maybe when they encounter a black man, you know, in their neighborhood or if they pass one in the grocery store or pull up beside one at the red light, maybe they have a different experience with who that person is. Um, you know, so for me, I think my journey has taken me where it's taken me. And I think I'm just now fully embracing that with the book club. Um, you know, a lot of times I'm the main voice in there because it's only about four or five of us, you know, black people in there, you know, and not that they're necessarily looking to me to be the answer, but they do know that I'm living an experience that they haven't lived and they kind of want to know a little bit and they want to hear my, my, um, you know, my, my stories or my viewpoint of everything that's going on or when they're sharing their information, you know, about their walk through, you know, life, whatever, um, you know, just hearing me. And I've had multiple people tell me that they appreciate my voice in there, you know, because there's things that I've said that they've heard, you know, that, you know, I, I'll give you an example, the Confederate flag, you know, we kind of talked about that. And I mentioned, you know, me and another um, black guy, and then we talked about how that makes us feel to see it. And one of the people said, thank you for sharing that. Like, I never knew that. I never knew that that, you know, provoked some type of feeling in you. I knew that she knew that it wasn't a, a great symbol for black people, but she never really understood why or never knew why, or maybe not even, never even thought about why. Um, so for me, you know, being where I'm at right now, I think I'm starting to embrace that. I'm actually gonna, I was asked to do a professional development um, next, uh, in two weeks with our staff. Um, and I think all of this is kind of sparked from the book club and just, you know, being open to talking about these things, um, you know, so, Right now, I think I'm right where I'm supposed to be. 
And I know there's a lot of other places I could be in the midst of this Black Lives Matter, but I think I, I'm in a good place to make a change and maybe change the, maybe the opinion or viewpoint, you know, in the center of the city where there's not a lot of people of color. And I'll piggyback on that, on that, Marvin. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing professional development on our campus as well. Um, but I'll tell you what, you, you presented a really good question, and, and I'll just go ahead and say it. My answer is zero. You know, I never really thought about that before, but, but to mention you, though, you mentioned you're the answer potentially to a lot of these kids, right? You very well might be the only answer that these kids ever have. And, and, and I don't know you personally, but I, know, I feel like I know you much better now, right? I mean, I, I've known of you and I know your face, right? But the, the dialogue we're having right now, but what, what better answer than to have you be that person that they experience? You know, so that, that's just an amazing, amazing perspective um, when you think about it. And, and I really am. I'm very uh, glad and, and blessed to know that you are potentially the one that, that these kids um, get to know and get to experience on a, on a completely different level. So that, that's awesome, man. And thanks for sharing that, too. Yeah, I take a lot of pride in it, too. You know, and it's not that I take pride in, in being that person. I just, I just take pride in, in what I do in the classroom. Um, and then to hear that question the other day and, and to think that maybe I am the one and then to think back on my career and think, Am I proud to be the one? Like, have I, have I represented well? And I feel like I have. I feel like everything I've done, you know, I've never, I've never treated anybody a certain way because of how they look, how they dress, their sexual orientation, or any of that. I've always treated people with respect. Um, i tell you an eye-opening moment this year. I'm standing in Alamo Heights, and it's the first day of school, and there's this black kid turns the corner and she see me standing there and she goes, <gasps> and she kind of goes, I got a black teacher. <laughs> and I jokingly looked at it and go, I'm black. And she gave me this look like, uh-huh. Oh. And I'm like, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> and so we dapped up, we dapped up and all that. And then she walked away, she was bobbing her head like, <laughs> this is gonna be a good year. Like she was so hyped that she had a black teacher and, uh, and we had a great experience, you know, uh, there was a few times during the year she'd come to me and talk to me about stuff, but those kind of moments. And, you know, and then there's kids who, I had another kid who was a big time Trump supporter. Everybody knew it. I'm not, this is not political or anything like that, but everybody knew it. And me and him were like this. I'm not a Trump supporter, just putting that out there. You know, like, we ain't going to go further than that. But we were like this. This kid was one of my favorite kids, and he'd come to school with a with the Make America Great, like at least once a week, he had the Make America Great hat on and a Trump for President shirt on at least once a week. And the very first time he wore it, he came up to me, and he was kind of giving me this look as if to see if I was going to have some kind of adverse reaction to him doing that. And I was like, what's up, man? And he was like, what's up, coach? I'm like, nothing, man. What's going on? You watch the game? Or you watch the game? Whatever. He's like, yeah, coach. Like, Pat Mahomes, you know, we just kind of got in that conversation. And, like, he became one of my favorite students because even though we may have been sitting on different seats, different, it didn't matter to neither one of us, um, you know. And, you know, that relationship was special because who knows how that, that could have went, 
you know, if I wore my heart on my sleeve and he wore his on his sleeve, that could have been a toxic relationship and it ended up being a very good relationship. Um, and that's just kind of how I approach teaching. That's how I approach coaching. There's no, no agenda. Like my only agenda is to get to know you, get to love on you, get to teach you and build a relationship with you. And I think that if people can approach life that way, regardless of who they encounter, then you're going to, you know, embark upon some great relationships. And if you choose not to approach life that way, then you're going to miss out on some great relationships. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I, you know, I always try to be empathetic, compassionate and respectful. And like you said, Mike, you know, just, you know, having, having a life full of love for whoever, you know, and, um, and I've told plenty of people, we don't have to agree on everything. I don't, I don't have to agree with your beliefs and you don't have to agree with mine, but I'm going to respect you the same. And, and, uh, and we can still be cordial and be friendly, you know, uh, and get to know each other and get to know more about each other. You know, we don't have to hate each other just off of that alone. Right. And so I think uh, what you say, right. Marv is pretty powerful. You know, both of you guys. Well, I do appreciate your time. I know we, uh, we talked for a little bit. It's been almost an hour and a half, but I hope we made your drive to Dallas a little easier there, uh, Mark. I was just about to say, my son's probably thinking like, man, I wish you'd get off the phone so we could stop and get something to eat or something. Yeah. <laughs> I told him. Man, that drive to Dallas isn't fun, though. It's not, it's not a long drive, but it's not a short drive. I hate that drive to Dallas. <laughs> it sure is better when you got somebody to help you do it, though. Yeah, yeah. Hey, and I just drove back from Oklahoma yesterday. We literally took oh. a day trip to Oklahoma and back. Oh, wow. I know you said you're at your uncle's place. I didn't know it was in Oklahoma. <laughs> Man, yeah, I'm from Wichita Falls, so that's that's you know I'm a Sooner fan because of growing up right there on that Oklahoma border. So I grew up, you know, watching the Sooners. But yeah, I, I'm taking that trip too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight. You gave some uh, beautiful perspective on a lot of different things, and so thank you very much. Um, and I hope I wish you guys the best moving forward. Likewise. Thank you, Marcus. Yes. Thank you, Marcus, for this platform you're giving coaches. I've seen some of the, the podcasts and um, we appreciate it. We appreciate the, the, what you're doing, the platform that you're giving coaches the opportunity to kind of share some stories and some journeys. So thanks a lot for the invitation. Yes, sir. Y'all be safe, stay healthy, and, uh, and let me know if you guys need any help down the road. Sounds good, Mike. It was good chopping it up with you. Likewise, man. Take care. Be safe. Yeah, All right, y'all yeah, are going to be Facebook friends here pretty soon. Yeah, probably like in the next 10 minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. All right. We'll talk soon. All right, later. All right. Bye. Later.